Jesus, who is the truth, I am the way, the truth, can only speak truth. And he will do what he says. He will be faithful to pull it off. And the very fact that he is coming again demonstrates that he is faithful and true, for that's what the Old Testament wrote of him, and that's what he himself said would indeed happen. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 19 of the Revelation as we look at Jesus' second coming. The account of this marvelous event is found in verses 11 through 19. Let's join Dr. Brogy now as he gives us some background and brings us up to speed. Even the casual reader of Scripture cannot miss the fact that full from Genesis to Revelation is the coming of Messiah, but not just His first coming, His second coming. Christ is coming again to rule and reign sovereignly on the earth. And that is emphasized in at least 17 different books of the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus referred to His second coming some 21 times, and seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament deal with the return of Jesus from heaven. For every one verse on the first coming of Christ, there are eight verses on the second coming of Christ. And there are over 300 references in the New Testament alone to the return of Jesus from heaven, and that's what you might expect Because when Jesus comes, He's going to complete our salvation. Our salvation is not yet complete. If you are born again, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible calls that justification. You are, I hope, being saved from the power of sin. The Bible calls that sanctification. In some glorious, wonderful day when Jesus comes back, He will complete your salvation. You'll be saved from the very presence of sin. The Bible refers to that as glorification. And so prophecy is all about Jesus. It's all about salvation. We studied last time where we finished in verse 10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is to say, the very nature, the sum and total of all prophecy is about Jesus. It points to Him. And in the final thought in the Bible, Jesus states, yes, I am coming quickly. And the Apostle John says, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Listen, these are great days in which to be alive. And the Old Testament prophets, they spoke of two comings of Messiah. What they did not fully understand is that there are two mountain peaks of prophecy, but between those two mountain peaks, sometimes offered in the same verse to give the full picture of salvation, is that there was a valley in between. And we call that valley in between the church age, where God is building His church. Listen, when Jesus came the first time, He came meek and lowly. He came as a suffering servant. But when He comes again, He is coming as a sovereign ruler. He is going to come as a sovereign reigning king. And the Bible tells us that we are to be looking. We are to be watching for that return. Listen to the words of C.S. Lewis from his book, Christian Behavior, as he relates the perspective the Christian is to have concerning the future. He wrote, a continued looking forward to the eternal world is not some, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Now that's good because the Bible teaches as we consider focus and meditate on the future return of Jesus, it will affect the way we are now. You think about that this morning as we read our text of Scripture. We're working verse by verse through the Revelation. We want to begin in verse 11 where we left off last time. Follow along in your Bible. And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now there in your note-taking outline, it's in your bulletin if you're new, there are three simple truths. I want us to consider as we think of our returning king. First, I want you to notice the appearance, the appearance of the coming king. Notice how John begins verse 11, and I saw heaven opened. Now, let me just say parenthetically, just as there are people who do not believe that Jesus literally, actually, bodily was raised from the dead, and you've got to be careful in the day that we live in. There are pastors across our nation who use the same terms, the same great words of historical Christianity, but they use a different dictionary in which to define those words. So there was a pastor in Hilton Head who spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. And he was saying, well, Jesus, when you pulled back the veneer, he is raised up in our hearts, but not that he literally came out of a grave. Even so, there are people who speak of the second coming of Christ that way. Oh, he'll come for you maybe when, you know, you die and he'll take you to heaven, if they even believe that. Or they say, well, the second coming of Jesus is not literal. It's his work in the society as it becomes more Christianized. Well, actually, it's not going to become more Christianized. The Bible teaches before his second coming it's going to get far worse but the Bible affirms he is actually coming again. At his ascension there on the Mount of Olives, those two angels said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way that you watched him go into heaven. Jesus went away literally, actually bodily into heaven, and he will come in just the same way, literally, actually bodily, visibly to the earth. Now you say, well, John saw this. Will we see it? Yes, we will. He's already affirmed in the opening chapter of these words. Behold, he is coming with the clouds in every eye. We'll see him. Even those who pierce him, even those who lived a few thousand years ago, every person from all of time will see him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So here's what John says. And I saw heaven opened. 
Now remember the opening words of the Revelation in the very first verse. It's entitled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Of course, there's no such book called Revelations. It's Revelation, singular. It's a single unveiling. That's what the word means, to uncover, to unveil. The word is apocalypsis. And if you transliterate a word, you take the sound of the word from the original language and you form it into the language you're translating into. And so, in some of our English Bibles, it doesn't say the revelation. It says over chapter 1, the apocalypse. And that's not bad because that's what the word means. This is a book that is unveiling the person of Christ. He is the hero of the revelation. In fact, he's the hero of all the Scripture. Again, last week, the spirit of prophecy is Jesus. And if you can read the revelation, all you see is the Antichrist and his false prophet and all these judgments, and you miss Jesus, you've missed the purpose and message of the book. Maybe the best way to describe this unveiling is like a man who has honed out a beautiful statue out of marble, and it's been covered after weeks, maybe even years and months of work, and now the time is for the unveiling, and they pull the cord, and off comes that cloth, and you see the statue that he has created. Listen, everything to what we've studied up to this point, 1911, have been preparing us for this unveiling, for this time when Jesus will literally come back to the earth. And that's how the Bible describes His coming. He first comes in the air. We call that the rapture. But He comes at the second coming to the earth. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah wrote. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. We'll examine that next time in the next paragraph. We've already been introduced to the battle of the Armageddon that Zechariah has been speaking of. And Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to crush the nations of the world. And in that day, the Bible says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 64, which he says is going to be fulfilled in the Jewish people at the second coming. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence." Listen, when he came the first time, for the most part, the Hebrew people, Israel, missed it. They did not believe Jesus was the promised Messiah. But listen, when he comes the second time, as a whole, the nation will embrace Jesus as Lord. One of the functions, as we've been studying, of this seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation is to bring Israel to his knees. Now, Christ can come at any time in the rapture. But he cannot come in the second coming until Israel comes to faith. That's what Jesus said. Listen to his words in Matthew 23. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we studied in the 12th chapter of the Revelation that the Jewish people under the Antichrist are going to experience incredible persecution, but God will use that persecution to open their eyes to the one whom they have rejected. And I saw heaven 
opened, he begins. John here sees this revelation, this unveiling, not to be confused with the rapture. We discuss the rapture in Revelation 4 and verse 1. There he said, a door standing open in heaven. He saw a door opened in heaven. This is a very different event. The clouds, somehow like a scroll, are going to be rolled back. The whole world will have the attention of the heavens above. We saw a magnificent sunset this week, and you couldn't help but just look at the the beauty. Listen, God is going to roll back the clouds like a scroll, and every eye is going to see Jesus coming back. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now, we've seen different clusters of this phrase, I saw. This is the final seven I saws here in the Revelation. This is the first of the final seven. And it will carry us all the way through chapter 21. Seven rapid I saws that will carry us all the way to the great white throne judgment there out in outer space. Seven events that will follow Jesus' second coming to the earth. You might want to go home this week and circle those and see if you can find them. Now, we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse in chapter 6, and the Antichrist who comes as an imposter, like an angel of light, and he comes on a white horse. But that's all he is, is he's a phony. And of course, that was symbolic of the phoniness that he will bring to the world at that time. This is no symbol. Here, Jesus will literally actually come on a white horse. Now, if you remember in the final week of his public ministry before the crucifixion, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey, just as the prophet had predicted. But when he comes a second time, he's not coming on a donkey. He is coming on a white charger in honor and in victory and in conquest. And that's how the first century reader would have immediately understood this phrase, white horse. Because in the first century, Roman generals would ride a white horse, and behind it would be all their captives after a great battle. Julius Caesar drove a white chariot drawn by white horses after he conquered North Africa, and he came down the Via Sacra there in Rome. Domitian, the man who, if you remember, put John on the island of Patmos. Some of you have been with me to the Isle of Patmos, and we went to that cave, which at least traditionally says that John wrote the Revelation from that cave. I don't know for sure, but I know what island he was on. And this great emperor, of course, when he conquered a people in number of writings, he is seen riding on a white stallion. Listen, God wants to affirm to these seven churches who are initially receiving this book that the Domitians of this world are history, that our Lord, our Savior, is going to rule over all the leaders of the world. He will literally ride on a white horse, and He will dismount there on the Mount of Olives as He sets His feet on it. And on this day, He will no longer be riding humbly on a donkey. He will come as the great victor, and He will come in judgment. Listen to what Jesus said. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then He adds concerning the goats, the unbelievers, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life.
Likewise, Paul records that when Jesus comes back, he is going to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And when he comes back on that white charger, the Bible says he will be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Have you responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus? I hope you have, and I hope if you haven't, you will before this day is over, because he will deal out retribution to those who do not respond or obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. What will happen? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let's read further here into verse 11 and look at these descriptive names given to the Messiah. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. He describes him as faithful, meaning he will do what he says, and he is described as true, meaning that his word can be trusted. Jesus' title, Faithful, is totally reliable, and it is in direct contrast to the Antichrist who is unfaithful, who lies to the peoples of the world, who breaks his promises to the people of Israel. His title is also that of true, because God can never perjure himself. Moses said, God is not like a man that he should lie. The writer of the Hebrews says it is impossible for God to lie. Paul said to Titus, God cannot lie. Unlike the Antichrist, Jesus is the opposite. The Antichrist was untrue, and he deceived people. This description of Jesus is very different from the deception of the evil one and very different from those who followed him, the Antichrist and his false prophet. Jesus, who is the truth, I am the way, the truth, can only speak truth, and he will do what he says. He will be faithful to pull it off, and the very fact that he is coming again demonstrates that he is faithful and true, for that's what the Old Testament wrote of him, and that's what he himself said would indeed happen. Now, do you remember all the way back in Revelation chapter 3 when we studied the seven churches? One of those churches was lukewarm. One of those churches was apathetic, the church at Laodicea. And that's where we were introduced to these titles of the Messiah, to the angel, to the messenger, we'd say today to the senior pastor of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness. You think about that. If your heart is compromised today, if you are more attracted by the things of this world than by the Lord Jesus if you are lukewarm and apathetic, you are basically denying what Jesus said about himself, that he is indeed faithful and true. Basically, you're saying, Jesus, you said that you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, but I don't think that's true. I don't think you are faithful to do that which you have promised, so I've gone after other things. And it's a denial of who Jesus really is. Let's read further into verse 11 of chapter 19. Now, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. It's a marvelous title. He is faithful and true. And in this context, it is reminding us that God will be faithful and true concerning what he said as judge. In righteousness, he judges and wages war. Again, if you remember at his first coming, there on the Mount of Beatitudes, where we, he gave the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, 
He's up on top of a large hill, a mountain of sorts, and there are thousands of people below him. And if you've ever been there acoustically, it is like a unique place in the whole Sea of Galilee. That's why we know it's a class A spot, and your voice will carry to thousands of people. And Jesus spoke to those who say they are Christians who say they are saved, and he doesn't go for some apathetic ho-hum testimony of someone who said they are saved. They said, I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name and even cast out demons in your name, all which are possible for an unbeliever. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. And he warns that they are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And so these who are on the broad road leading to destruction, who in essence, in their heart of hearts, reject Jesus. Now Jesus will reject them. Listen, you cannot manufacture and create a Jesus as you would like him to be. You must go by what God has revealed in Scripture. And the only reason he has not yet come is because God is long-suffering. The Bible says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that dramatic final judgment we're going to study in the 19th and the 20th chapters. But right now, this is a time of grace. This is a time of mercy. This is a time of the long-suffering patience of God where you can still be forgiven. But a day is coming when the dam of God's mercy will break to His judgment and there'll be no further opportunity. His eyes, verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire. The apostle John is describing here, in essence, the perfect vision of Christ. His eyes are a flame of fire. We study that in Revelation 1.14 and in Revelation 2.18, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But you remember to the church at Thyatira, he reminded them that absolutely nothing escapes his vision. Jesus will not be able to be fooled. He is incapable of acting in an unjust fashion. With his piercing vision, he will see everything that we've done. With his omniscient vision, he can perceive and he is going to discern the kind of judgment that every unbeliever will have met out. The mask, the facades will be removed, and fire, of course, as we've already studied, is a picture of the judgment of God in Scripture. God not only sees you this morning, He sees through you. He has x-ray vision. Now, we may want some opaque window over our hearts or some stained glass window in religiosity, but it is clear glass and he sees everything about us. You cannot hide from Jesus. You can hide from your pastor. You can hide from your boss. You can hide from your spouse, but you cannot hide from God Almighty. And so we are not surprised that in Acts 1.24, Jesus is called the cardia nostes. You can hear the word cardia we get our word heart, gnosis, our English word knowledge. Jesus is literally the heart knower. Why? Because he knows the hearts, as Luke writes, of all men. He knows the hearts of all men. Jesus reminded his disciples that the world would hate them, that if they hated me, they'll hate you. And that's still true because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want all your friends to like you, then you are a compromised person. If you live for Jesus, there will be some people who will not like you. And Jesus said, they're going to abuse you. They're going to even kill you. And he said in Matthew 10, therefore, do not fear them. 
For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. With those eyes that once reflected tenderness and joy that he would cradle little children in, with those eyes that once reflected empathy when he encountered people who had zero hope in this world, he called them sheep without shepherd, with those eyes that communicated sadness as he saw Peter deny him three times, and with those eyes that communicated compassion when he forgave Peter who was crushed over his denial, with those eyes as his heart was broken, as people's bodies were filled with disease, or Mary Magdalene's heart was filled with seven demons, with those eyes as he literally wept over Jerusalem because of their rejection of their Messiah, with those eyes that flood tears at the tomb of Lazarus, with those same eyes, eyes of fire, he will execute his wrath. No one will be able to say, how can you judge me? You're not there to see me. No, he has omniscient vision. He can see everything. Look again further into verse 12. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, diadems, diadema. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what we call the Septuagint. Esther, Queen Esther over Persia, is given a diadem to war. And a diadem was nothing more than an elaborate headband, about two inches wide. Sometimes there were jewels attached to it, or sometimes a type of insignia. And the excavations that have been done give us ample picture of what they actually looked like. Here's one. This is of an Assyrian king wearing a diadem. This is what they looked like. In this case, it was a Uh, a piece of embroidered cloth in gold, and attached to it was a bright red ribbon. Here's another relief. This shows a Persian emperor, and he wears this brightly colored diadem, a red headband with a green plume on it. Here's another one that's been excavated, and I'll not make fun of this guy because it looks like he has red lipstick on, all right? But here's the point. Understand, in the mind's eye of a first century reader, when they were a diadem, they didn't think of the kind of crowns that a 17th and 18th century English king wore. No, this was different. And understand, too, that this is not diadem. Circle the last letter of the word here in the verse. It's diadems. It's plural. This points to Messiah's authority over all the nations of the world. Why? Because when you conquered a people, you would, in essence, take their diadem, the king's diadem, just like King David did when he conquered the Amorites in 2 Samuel 12, and he wore the diadem of that Amorite king in addition to his. 160 years before Christ, Ptolemy VI, the great pharaoh of Egypt, defeated Antioch, and he wore two of those diadems to show that he was sovereign both over Egypt and over Asia. And here God is letting us know that Jesus will be sovereign over the whole earth, that he will have the name above every name. He will have many diadems on his head. On his head will be many diadems, and he will affirm before we're done because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. To listen again to today's message entitled, The Coming of the King, use the Search the Scriptures app for mobile devices, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV55. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. For more information, call 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll find out more about Jesus' second coming as we search the Scriptures. <music> 